You're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. So something that I often hear people say, both Christians and non-Christians, is they say something like, if God is real, why doesn't he just reveal himself to me? If God really wants me to understand what his will for my life is, why doesn't he just give me a sign? Especially when we read passages like the passage we have for this weekend in Exodus 3, where God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush. People are like, man, I wish that, I wish I had a burning bush experience. I wish God would, would encounter me in the same way in which he encountered Moses. Which is why I'm really glad that we're taking some time to meditate on this text for this weekend. Because what I want to argue is that I think that we have spiritual encounters all the time, and we often miss them. And yet here in Exodus chapter 3, we learn a little something about spiritual encounters. Specifically, we learn four things about them. First and foremost, we learn where spiritual encounters happen. Secondly, we learn what a spiritual encounter is. Thirdly, we learn why spiritual encounters are even possible. And lastly, we learn how we know we've actually had one. Okay, so let me say that again. We learn what, uh, where spiritual encounters happen, what they are, uh, why they're even possible, and how we know we've had one. So let's start with that first question. Where do spiritual encounters actually happen? And in order to understand that, we have to set the scene for a little bit. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 starts with the following words. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I want to stop right here and note something incredibly important. This is a very odd place for a guy like Moses to be. I mean, consider his story just a little bit. We know that he was born a Hebrew, not a Midianite. We also know that he wasn't born in the wilderness at Horeb. He was born in Egypt. And he certainly wasn't raised among shepherds. He was raised in the palace, in the halls of a king, as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Raised in the halls of power, educated in the philosophy of the Egyptians. He would have learned economics and warfare. He was an upper-class guy who should have been occupying a high position of authority in the government. And yet here we find him, a poor shepherd out in the wilderness. Furthermore, if the timeline in the book of Acts is to be believed, what we know is that he's been there now for about 40 years. He's pretty advanced in age. In short, Moses is on a detour. And that's what's important to note because right here we learn where spiritual encounters often happen. They happen in the detours of life. One of the things that Exodus 3 goes on to say is this. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned up. You see, there's both a macro detour and a micro detour in Moses' story. The macro detour is that he's not where he should be. 
He's not in Egypt. He's not in the halls of power. He's not in the home that he once knew. All of his plans in life have not worked out the way that he thought that they would. That's the macro detour, but there's also a micro detour. He's just tending his sheep, minding his own business when something catches his eye. He sees a bush that is burning, but it's not consumed. Now, again, at first glance, that would have been something that really wouldn't have been all that surprising. I mean, out in the desert, in a dry place, in the heat of the day, especially if there's a spark, it wouldn't be uncommon to see a bush catch fire. But Moses slows down long enough to notice that there's something a little bit different about this bush. Though it's burning, it's not consumed. He takes this micro detour. He says, I'm going to go and take a closer look. Spiritual encounters often happen in the detours of life. They often happen when things aren't going according to our plan. You see, everybody has plans. We all have certain ways that we think our life is going to go. It begins when we're very young, right, with that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And many of us know that what we initially say as kids doesn't actually pan out. I mean, if we went by what I said to that question when I was a kid, I would be Indiana Jones. I would be an adventure-seeking archaeologist, but that's not how things have turned out. But we also know that even if we stick with our answer, sometimes those plans don't come to fruition. I mean, honestly, if you had approached me when I was 18 or 21 or even 24 and told me that I would be a pastor, I would have laughed at you because that wasn't my initial plan. And I think it's that way for many of us. Life doesn't always go according to the plans that we lay out. Oftentimes, they're interrupted. But what I want us to see in this text is that that is often where spiritual encounters take place. I love where it says in Proverbs 16:9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I used to joke with people that my whole life sometimes seems like one giant detour, but as I've meditated on passages like this, what I've come to see is that often it's right there where God desires to meet us. But I think that that's the reason why so many of us miss these spiritual encounters, because how do we often behave when we encounter a detour? Like, well, darn, how do I get around this thing as fast as I can? We get frustrated and upset and angry, or sometimes we just continue to plow ahead, hoping that by sheer force of will, we can make it around or through this detour and move on to our very next thing. When a burning bush shows up in our life, we're like, I don't have time for that. I've got got plans. I have someplace else to be. And I think that what we really need to do is when those detours come up, we have to slow down and ask ourselves the question, what might God be trying to say to me in this moment? Because I think that there are often burning bushes that we walk right past. You may say, well, what do you mean burning bushes? I love how Pastor Tim Keller described what a burning bush is. He says, a burning bush is a paradigm buster. It is something inexplicable that forces you to think outside the box. It challenges your assumptions about the world. And I think we actually have these paradigm busting moments all the time. In fact, sometimes they seem very ordinary at first glance. Let me give just a couple of examples. How about this one? This is, an, this is a fairly common one, especially out here in the suburbs. It's when something doesn't go according to plan, even though you achieve it. 
success is a great example of this, right? I think many people seem to think if I get that, that job with the bigger paycheck at the top of the corporate ladder, then everything in my life will be fine. I'll be at peace. I'll be fulfilled. All my needs will be met. And yet some of the most dissatisfied people in the world are the people at the top. People who've achieved everything and yet still walk away saying it's not enough. It's a paradigm-busting moment because you thought this thing would satisfy only to find out that it doesn't. Or what about when, here's another one, when we finally meet that romantic partner, right? We're like, this is the one, this is the person who's going to complete me, and as long as we're together, everything will be just fine. Everything will be right and perfect until that perfect one starts to use your bathroom and they forget to clean the sink or you realize that occasionally they have opinions of their own that you might not always agree with. And sadly, some of the loneliest people in the world that I know are married people. We finally get the thing that we thought we always wanted only to have our paradigm broken to realize that it doesn't actually satisfy in the way that we thought it would. And yet what God does in those ordinary moments is he's trying to get our attention this is where God wants to meet with his people. And I think people say, boy, I wish that I had a burning bush. I wish God would just show up and speak to me. And the reality is, is he's probably already trying. The question is, have you slowed down long enough to pay attention? Have you turned aside and really asked the question, what is God trying to say to me here? That's really the key. For, for knowing not only where spiritual encounters happen, but recognizing them when they do is slowing down long enough to actually take stock, to, to, to take time apart, to go off to the side and take a closer look, to slow down and say, you want to know what? I'm going to go over there and I'm going to look at this thing. I'm going to see if God is maybe saying something to me. This is key for those who are seeking God. If you're here right now, my guess is because there's been some kind of thing which has been nudging you to this moment. A couple burning bushes along the way, and the invitation is stop and listen. Likewise, for those of us who are followers of God, we have to ask ourselves, are we taking daily time apart to slow down and pay attention to what God is saying to us? Because spiritual encounters happen in the detours. Because detours force us to slow down and seek God in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. But that then leads us to ask the question, okay, so what is a real spiritual encounter? And again, I think the details of Exodus 3 really help us to understand that. We read that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Now, I don't think many of us stopped and really think about this, but this image of fire is actually one of the most common ways in the Bible that God shows up. I mean, when the people of Israel are rescued out of Egypt, it says that when they come back to the mountain of God, God descends on the top of the mountain in smoke and in fire. When he leads them through the wilderness, he leads them in a pillar of cloud and fire. Later on in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah the prophet encounters God, it says that God descends into the temple in fire and in flames. Now stop and think about this for a second. This is the almighty God of the universe. He could choose any form that he he wants to reveal himself, and yet one of his preferred ways of revealing who he is is in fire. Why is that? 
Well, to help us understand that, I want to share a story that I heard a couple of years ago about the great mathematician Blaise Pascal. After Pascal died, they found something interesting sewn into the lining of his coat. It was a letter that he had written. And this is what was written on that little piece of paper. The year of grace, 1654. Monday, the 23rd of November, from half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and savants, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. See, what they had discovered was a spiritual encounter in Pascal's life. Now, it wasn't that Pascal didn't believe in God before, but suddenly he had an encounter with God. The real God, the living God, the God that was far bigger and more powerful and awe-inspiring than anything that he had known or understood before. And that's what is why this idea of fire is really quite fascinating when you stop and you think about it. Consider this, fire is one of the only things that when you touch it, it changes you. It's different from clay, right? When we touch a, a soft lump of clay, we shape the clay. It's at the mercy of the one who's molding it. But fire is something very, very different. When you touch it, it changes you. Anything that passes through fire is either purified or consumed. And there's something about that in the sense that you, you have an, a spiritual encounter is one which leaves this lasting impression on you because you finally encounter a God that's far bigger than anything else you would have settled for or created on your own. This is further emphasized later on in the conversation between God and Moses. Then when Moses finally asks God what his name is, he says, I am who I am. Now, this little phrase is very, very hard to translate from the Hebrew. It could be translated, I am that I am, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. Scholars have debated this back and forth, trying to figure out how do we render this phrase. But what I think it means is God is saying, Moses, I am the God who will reveal myself on my terms. You can't mold and shape me. You can't fit me into your box. I don't easily fall into your categories and systems that, that cooperate with your little worldview. I will be who I will be. I will reveal myself in ways that I choose to reveal myself. And through this encounter, you will be transformed. You see, I think the reason that God reveals himself in fire is because fire will either refine you or burn you, but it will not leave you unchanged. That's how you know you've had a real spiritual encounter. That's what a real spiritual encounter is, is when you find yourself in the presence of a God who is far bigger, more awesome, more terrifying, and yet more beautiful and stunning than anything else you could have ever dreamed of. That's why I like this image of fire. I mean, think about it. I think one of the most beautiful things is to sit before a fireplace or to light a candle because fire brings warmth and light. We need it for our survival. But likewise, fire unchecked consumes and burns and destroys. And isn't that an incredible description of who God is? 
on the one hand, God is, is absolutely holy, consuming anything that is imperfect. Absolutely holy in the sense that he tolerates no wickedness, no unrighteousness, no injustice, no darkness. He consumes it totally. And yet at the same time, he's absolutely loving. He's warm and beautiful and gives light and life wherever he goes. And you can't help but want to draw near to him. And you see, in our world today, I think that we often settle for gods that have one of those features, but not the other. We settle for gods in our own making that are holy and absolutely rigid, right? They've got these rules and expectations and you need to toe the line and make sure that you're living up to the standards or they're, they're absolutely affectionate, right? And soft. They never make any demands on you. They're just like, I'll love you no matter what. There's no right or wrong. Just you do you. But we, we roll out these tame gods when we need them, and then we hope that they leave us alone the rest of the time. But here in Exodus 3 and 4, what we see is that we don't have a God that we invent. He's far bigger than that. He will be who he will be. He will burn up anything dark, evil, and imperfect, and yet he's absolutely loving and welcoming, welcoming imperfect people into his presence. That's how you know you're having a real spiritual encounter, because that's what a spiritual encounter is. It's when you find yourself in the presence of a God who isn't all that comfortable and yet at the same time is absolutely awe-inspiring, in whose presence on the one hand you feel terrified and exposed and yet on the other hand you feel loved and welcomed in. The God of fire, it's this beautiful description of who God is. That's what a spiritual encounter is. When you finally find yourself face to face with the God who is bigger than you. But that leads us to a question, how is it even possible for us to approach a God like that? I mean, if God is truly this perfect, holy being, what makes us think that we, human beings, could possibly stand in his presence? In fact, that's one of the incredible paradoxes in this whole encounter between God and Moses. Here you have this God of fire, the Almighty, who's speaking to Moses, and yet what is Moses doing the whole time? He's arguing with him. Moses spends almost this entire conversation making excuses to this God. God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God responds, well, I will be with you. Then Moses asks, well, what if the people ask me your name? And God says, well, my name is Yahweh. Moses worries. What if they don't believe me? God says, well, I'll give you signs and wonders. And Moses objects. He's like, yeah, but I don't talk good. And God says, well, I will teach you what to say. And even when Moses finally straight up refuses God, and we actually read that God becomes angry with him, even then God still shows patience to Moses and says, I will send your brother Aaron to go with you. How is any of this possible? How is this imperfect guy like Moses able to stand there and talk like this with the almighty God of creation? And the clue comes in verse 2. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Now, some people might object. They're like, well, why is that detail important? Aren't there lots of angels in the Bible? And the answer is yes. The Hebrew word for angel simply means messenger. And there are lots of angels in the Bible. But if this were any ordinary angel, we would see something very, very different. Here's what I mean. Usually when it's just an angel that's sent, when people fall down and start to worship them, they say, don't worship me, get up. I'm just a creature like you. And yet this angel is different. This angel welcomes Moses into God's presence, but the moment he starts to draw close, he says, but wait, 
Take off your sandals. Where you're standing is holy ground. This angel at the same time accepts the worship that is due God and God alone. See, it's this incredible encounter where we start to say there's something different about this angel, about this messenger. And in order to truly understand his identity, we have to go to another spiritual encounter that happens 1,500 years after this encounter between Yahweh and Moses. It happens in Jerusalem when a bunch of religious experts got together to challenge an upstart rabbi, a rabbi who was constantly breaking the mold, who was saying and doing things that didn't quite fit within their paradigms, a rabbi who was absolutely concerned with the holiness and righteousness of God and yet was also incredibly loving, spending time with imperfect people, outcasts and sinners. And they came to question him and say, who are you? Where do you get this authority to tell us what to do? And here's what that rabbi said in response. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The messenger of the Lord is none other than Jesus, the one who is the great I am. And what he's saying to them is he's saying, I am the one who has no beginning. There was never a time when I was not. And the reason I can call you to believe in me is because I will be who I will be. I am who I am. He is the one who enables us to stand in the presence of God. Scripture actually tells us that no one has seen God, but only the Son who makes him known. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, when Moses looked at that bush, he was seeing me. I'm the one who makes the spiritual encounter possible. You are welcomed into the presence of God because of me. He's the one who stands in the fire so that we will not be burned. And the thing that scripture tells us is if you really want to know God, you need to look to Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes him known, makes him understandable, makes him relatable. He says, and if you really want the spiritual encounter that you say you desire, you need to come to him. And that brings us to the final thing we learn. How do you know you've had a spiritual encounter? You find that right in the middle of the text. It's in what God says to Moses. He says, Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress my people. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The way that you know you have a genuine spiritual encounter is because it's always followed by a call. Spiritual encounter is never just for our benefit. It's so that we might be transformed and sent. Moses becomes the one who now brings the message of the burning bush to his people, who brings the wonders of God to Egypt so that others might come to know him. And that's really what a genuine spiritual encounter does, is it draws us into the greater purposes of God. It's never just for us. And one of the things that I love about this passage is at least three times when Moses is wondering, can I even fulfill this purpose? God says, I will go with you. God sends us so that other people might come to know him. Our lives are meant to be burning bushes, which point people to his presence. So that as we encounter people in our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, who are wondering, why is it that life doesn't seem to be going the way that I think it should be going? Why is it that everything that I do feels like a detour? We can say, I know where true answers are found because I've encountered the one in whom all the things that you desire Find their fulfillment. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Spiritual encounters are never divorced from the mission of God. We are sent as people into the world to bring the presence of God where he sends us. So where has he sent you? So with that in mind, I'd like to pray. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you encounter us all the time. You're a God who loves to speak with his people. and So often we're too busy to notice it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us slow down and attend to you. That we might not only know you more fully, but understand your purposes and your ways and then be sent to point others back to you. That others would come to know you, Lord, the great I am, the one who will be who you will be, the one who ultimately comes to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.